Today, I'm uh, in a sermon series called, Is There an App for That? Life is hard and family can be difficult in this culture in America in this day. And so uh, we have an app for everything else to learn and what's the application that would be great and make our families better? Today, we're going to talk about this, peace in the family. We need peace, don't we? Proverbs 17.1 says, better a dry crust eaten in peace than a house filled with feasting and conflict. So that means not having much and having peace makes life good. But in America, we have a lot and we have conflict and we're actually poorer than many others in the world because of it. We need peace in our homes and it's such a blessing and God would bring it. One day a little girl was sitting and watching her mother load the dishwasher and she noticed in the sunlight that her mother had some gray hair. She hadn't seen that before and she said, Mommy, what is that white hair on your head? And her mom replied, Well, every time that you do something wrong and make me cry or unhappy, I get a gray hair. The little girl thought for a moment and she said, Well, Mama, how come Grandma has all that white hair? (laughs) The truth is, the dynamic of relationship is difficult from beginning to end with children and the beginning of the marriage to the end, and it can be wonderful, but we'll come into tough times. Even in the best of marriages, there are more difficult seasons, even in the best family. And then if it's not so good, we really need the application of God's peace. So let's, let's pray that he'll bring it today before I move on. Father, come by the power of your Holy Spirit. Reveal to us truth that will set us free. Lord, I know that the enemy is the divider and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he wants to steal our peace. But you have given us peace. It's ours. And uh, I pray today that through this sermon, through the words of your Holy Scripture, your love letter to us, your manual called the Bible, I pray that you'd help us appropriate the truth of what you have for us that we can have peace in our families. Let it be, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So three simple things that come right from the Bible. The first is this, prayer for your family brings peace. It's interesting to me that we wanna grab books that help us with our family. And we wanna listen to counselors and shows and buy DVDs and learn about the best communication that we can have. And it's not that any of that's bad, But what I want to do is elevate something else that's better than all of that, and it's called prayer. There's no form of communication that you can learn that's going to help you more than prayer will if you're really praying to get God's wisdom for a situation and to appropriate his touch. Philippians 4, 6 says this, don't fret or worry. Now we're thinking about our families, okay? These words about peace apply to every situation, but we're going to talk about them in the context of family today. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good. Another version says peace that passes all understanding. It will come and settle your heart down. Goes on to say, it's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Now, if I ask you the opposite of peace, you'd probably say war. But according to the word of God in this context, the opposite of peace is worry. And it's interesting to me that somehow 
we will let our minds, our brains, our thoughts run and we'll worry and never think once about what a terrible thing it is for us. But the Bible says it can't add one little positive thing to your life, ever. Worry never, ever helps. And I like the way it says this, instead of worrying, pray. So here's, here, here they are in opposition. If we're worrying, we say, oh man, he hasn't said he loves me for months now. You might say, oh, my, my daughter is, she's hanging out with the wrong crowd. I don't know what to do. Oh, she's going to have trouble. She's going to get into drugs and premarital sex and, oh. And the thing about worry, one of the reasons we want to be really careful about it is most of the stuff we worry about is never actually going to happen. And it makes us tense. And honestly, I believe, I'm not an expert at this, but I believe that the greatest one of the greatest contributing factors to depression is worry. You say, what's well, chemical imbalance? I believe when we worry, we can throw our bodies into a chemical imbalance. And that's why uh, God says, don't worry. It won't do anything for you. What if we did this instead? Instead of worrying, pray. What if we said, God, show me, show me how to get closer to my husband. Show me how, how to... Let them know that I love them. Give me your wisdom. Father, we're struggling. Would you speak and let me know? Or we said, Jesus, help me with my daughter, my son. I feel it's growing distant. I feel them slipping away. We need your help, God. Would you bring your wisdom into this situation? When we pray, we release God's power into our situations and our scenarios of family. If we don't pray, we're not releasing. We're not we're not gathering, we're not receiving from the greatest resource available to us in life, the power of God. And when we pray, he hears us and he responds to prayer. He says in one place, you, ask, you have not because you ask not. So when we begin to pray for our family members, as a matter of fact, on the card that we're gonna respond to at the end of the service, one of the boxes on the back side of that says, I commit to praying for every family member every day. You know what I found out about praying for people? Not just family members, but all people, especially people you might be struggling with. When you pray for someone genuinely from your heart, if you really mean it, you're sincere to God and you're not telling him what to do, but you're asking him. You know prayer should be more asking God than telling him, right? I mean, I mean telling him just not gonna work out. Why, why do you need him if you can tell him, right? Uh, so, so we need to hear from him. And so, so much of prayer is not just speaking to him, but asking and then listening. And, and watching in life with an anticipation that he's gonna show because he's good and he loves me. But when you pray for someone, what will happen is God will give you his heart for them. See, our hearts get off, right? We have our own problems. We contextualize with what we know and we don't even bring our own problems in, into this situation as part of the difficulty. But we're part of the difficulty too. And so the Lord will have to speak to us to help us. But when we pray, we start to get his heart and things like this start to happen. His power is released into the situation. And I, I just wrote some things down here. He helps us to see what the real problem is. Sometimes what we see is the problem isn't the problem at all. It's our problem, but it's not the real problem. Ephesians 6.12 lets us know that, you know, because we, we think if that person wouldn't, and what we've just done is made it about flesh and blood. It's about a human being not doing the right thing. But here's what the Bible says. This is great to remember for all of our family relationships. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. 
That person is not the problem. You're not the problem. The problem is, as it goes on, but against the rulers, against authorities and powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The, the, the deal is there's a devil who divides. And um, he, we, we need to, to seek God that our family and our situation might be covered and that we might see things as they are. That person isn't the problem. Jesus coming into this situation is the, is the answer. And so how do we get that to happen? But when we pray, God will reveal to us wisdom that is needed to overcome in this situation. How do you connect with your son or daughter when you're not? So many times, and I think I'm guilty in this way, I, and I think men have to watch it here since we're talking about family. We are geared towards productivity. We have a warrior's mentality, a hunter's mindset that you go out, you take hold of it, and you achieve. That sounds great. But if we start talking to our children in the context of their productivity and that's all we ever say, they'll start, now we know we're trying to bring them forward. We're trying to help them reach their full potential. We're trying to help them become what they can be, all that God has created them to be. But if we're not careful, what they hear is that my dad doesn't like who I am. I can't do enough for him. And we have to be careful of that. And God will, God will reveal to us the wisdom that's needed. And the words might be kind words. The, the word might be God wants us to hang out and nurture them and have a relationship and wait till they're ready to ask. But we need God's help. He can empower us to speak when we pray. Some of us have difficulty saying things that are in our hearts, men and women. Maybe you're not great at verbalizing. That's not my problem. My problem is God speaks to me more often to be silent than to speak because I talk too much. And I, th I think I know. And often I don't. And so much of the time he'll say to you and I, speak, come forward with this. Let your heart be made known and he'll show us the right setting to do that. Or he might say, no, don't say that. <laughs> be quiet. Leave me space. I'm working. But he'll give us the right application for the moment if we're seeking him. He'll release the Holy Spirit to touch that person in that relationship because when we pray, his power comes. The Holy Spirit's released into the situation. He'll change our hearts and help us see our error. error. Right? He'll, we start to pray and he says, I don't want you to think about what they're doing. I want you to think about this. And then he'll speak to us about uh, some thoughts that are wrong. He'll give us the ability to forgive. You heard me say last week, right? Uh, I think the Lord really wants us to pick up on this in this family series, that quite often in family and relationship, the unwillingness to forgive becomes a greater problem than the original sin that someone committed. Because when we don't forgive, we're not like Jesus. And when we're not like Jesus, then we're not bringing his power and his love into the situation. The Bible says he's forgiven us of so much, we should forgive others. And sometimes when we pray, we start to see his heart, his love, his forgiveness for us, and we hear him say, I want you to let it go. The root for the word forgiveness is to forthgive, forgive, to forthgive. And the forthgiving is to God. It's not saying that what they did was okay, because sometimes, many times, it's not. But it's saying that I'm not requiring anything on my behalf to take place for things to be okay. 
Because if I need them to do the right thing to be okay, what if they never do the right thing? Then I won't be okay. Forgiveness is forth giving it to God and saying, God, this is yours. I'm not gonna hold this. I don't require anything to happen for me to be okay from any person because your spirit, your power is greater, greater enough to heal me, to bless me and to help me through this. And Lord, help me let go of this so that I'm not holding anything that might bring bitterness into my family. Did you know the Bible says that bitterness defiles many? If you're upset at your husband or your wife or something, you think those kids in the home can't feel that? And if it's ongoing and with regularity that this is happening, then bitterness starts to get in their hearts and they start to, when you verbalize something negative about your husband, pretty soon your kids will be verbalizing something negative about your husband and oh yeah, it'll go further than that because that's an authority, they'll verbalize even more negative about you because we're teaching them that. And that's bitterness that can get in and defile us. And God says, I don't want that. I want there to be a spirit of forgiveness and he'll give us the ability to forgive when we pray. He'll give us peace in the midst of the struggle. Because I want you to know that sometimes you're just gonna be in a storm and it's not gonna feel good and it's not gonna make any sense. Jesus was in the boat with the disciples, they were out on the lake and a wild storm came up and they all thought they were gonna die. And Jesus, when they looked for him, they found him asleep. And they woke him up and said, don't you care? Isn't that what we say sometimes when there's a storm in our life? God, don't you care? And we can always know when we start getting there that that's a very dangerous place. Because he just loves us and wants to help us. But Jesus was asleep because he knew it was gonna be okay. He knew it was gonna happen. He knew they were all gonna live. He knew what he had in mind for purpose. And he wants us to know that even in the midst of a storm that's hard when we don't understand, that he can bring us peace, peace that passes all understanding. Circumstances would dictate the understanding seems to be that this is hard, it's bad, we should feel terrible. But God says, look, I'm not denying the circumstances, but even in the midst of that, I can help your heart settle down and give you peace and, 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 and help you through it. Here's that same verse I read earlier, and it's the Living Bible, this time a different version. And I like the way both of them said it, so I wanted to read both, both the interpretations of that scripture. Verse six, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank him for his answers. If you do this, you will experience God's peace which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts and your hearts quiet and at rest as you trust in Jesus. So, prayer. Commit to praying for your family members, for your situation, and God will bring wisdom and his love, his forgiveness, and his peace into our hearts as we all respond to him. Now granted, People have to respond in totality with the whole family if it's going to be as good as, it want, as the Lord wants it to be. You can't choose for other people. But just know that when you do the right thing, you're making everything better. It's getting to some degree much better just because you're doing the right thing. But you're creating an opportunity and an atmosphere for the very, very best scenario to happen. So let's, as far as it depends on us, let's be at, at uh, peace with other people. Second thought now, walking in truth brings your family peace. 
Psalm 116, or rather 119, 165. Those who love your teachings will find true peace. Jesus said in the New Testament, why do you say you love me and not do the things I say? So if we think of that and the word here, those who love your teachings, then we're not just talking about knowing teachings of the Bible, of Jesus Christ, of the word of God. We're talking about following, knowing what they are and following the teachings. And when we do that, those who love your teachings will find true peace. sometimes we can't help it. Bad things happen in life. It's not your fault. And God's peace can come in that situation. But I'm I'm just here to tell you, much of the lack of peace in our families has to do with our own sin. We like to popularly call that um, dysfunction. It's a popular term these days. It's just another word for sin. Um, And and so because we, we know the right thing and we choose not to do it, there's a lack of peace in our homes. And we just need to take personal responsibility for that, right? We just need to understand that if I will follow God's word, my life will go better. And the life of my family will be better. Psalm 34, 14 says, turn from evil and do good, seek peace. And somehow the turning from the wrong action uh, brings peace in a greater way. Uh, See if I can add some depth to this thought some of you know that um, my family didn't come to Jesus until I was eight or nine so we I was raised in a home that didn't know Jesus and was far from God in the first several years of my family life and um, we traveled on the road my dad was a roofer and he traveled with my um, my uncle his brother-in-law his sister as families we travel and they did roofs and I went to 36 schools. This is what my mom tells me. 36 schools before I graduated from college. I went to two colleges and four high schools. Uh, or rather, four schools in high school. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, and then 30 uh, from, from kindergarten on. So, I mean, that's, you know, homeschooling. What, uh, my mom didn't know how to do it, I guess. Uh, but, but that's a tough life, right, that we're traveling. But the one thing that made it good for me is I had my cousin who was traveling with me, Sean. And I'm telling you, I love Sean as much as I've loved anybody um, in, 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 in life as a friend. And um, we, we were born one day apart. We were the same height and the same weight until we were uh, 12 years old. And we were on the road all the time. So one of the good things about being on the road and in different schools is everywhere I went, Sean was with me. He was with me when I'd go on the first day of school at a school because his mom would put him in and our families traveled together. So it was kind of comforting to have that friend with me everywhere we went. Along the way, our families came to Jesus, my parents and then his parents. And then eventually Sean accepted Christ and I accepted Christ. We both messed up before we came to Jesus. All of us do to some degree, all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. But I found Jesus a little sooner. Well, here's what happened to Sean. Sean went on in life uh, to go to jail and prison several times uh, for robbery. And, um, and later in life, uh, someone stabbed him and he took the knife and stabbed him back. And he went, he went to, uh, to jail for that because he chased him down to do it. And, and uh, Sean was, uh, was a fighter. And then, then he came to Jesus, I came to Jesus, my, you know, I didn't do sins that would have put me in jail, Sean did. 
And, and then when he came to Jesus, he always struggled with doing the right thing even after he made the commitment. I'm talking about believers now. Some believers say, I really wanna do the right thing and move forward and I wanna grow in Jesus. And they take responsibility for their decisions. And then other believers, let's call them believers, right? I don't know what the degree is where you're in or out, but let's just say there are believers who refuse to be obedient. Sean was obedient at times and then other times he just do dumb stuff. And so he was in trouble. Even after he came to Jesus, he was in trouble with the law periodically. And he struggled all his life. He had uh, a wife and got divorced and a child and uh, that relationship was broken be, because of his sin. And, and then he came to Jesus and he just couldn't seem to really get his act together even when he came to Jesus. I remember meeting with him a couple years ago in Missouri where my parents live and it was just so great to see him and we talked and he had been going to church, which I was really excited about, and he was really seemed to be trying, but you could see the struggle, because for 10 minutes, just he and I in a car, he quoted scripture. And I thought, wow, that's impressive. I, I don't even, I, I don't think I could do that. And man, Sean's doing well. I'm just thinking this as he's quoting scripture, and he would do it like a preacher, man. He would just get all animated and start saying it, and so I listened, and I was smiling and enjoying it that, you know, he, uh, he, was, he seemed to be all in for God. Then he got done, and, and just, there's a moment of, you know, 30 seconds of silence, and I, I said, uh, after I said, Sean, that's amazing, I'm so glad to hear that you're in the Word, and you, you're loving God, this is awesome. Then 30 seconds later, the same guy, in that same moment says, Stanley, I believe I can whip your butt. And he was serious. I'm like, what happened to the Bible thing that we were just in, you know, can't we just take the spirit of that for a while? But he had this struggle. And I, I said to him when he said that, yeah, you probably can, but we're not going to find out today because I'm not fighting you. And, and so Sean doesn't do the right thing. And I'm telling you, I'm, just, I'm talking about believers now. He had a miserable life in many ways. And it was because he kept doing dumb stuff. I love him. God loves him even more than I do. But he kept doing stupid things that hurt people and hurt himself. And so what do you do when your children, let's say, God's children, when he looks at him and says, boy, I'd sure like to bless you, but you're not listening. So he comes to Jesus. He has a car accident. This is just a little over a year ago. Totals his car, has some insurance problems, and probably had been drinking some. And so he flees the state because he had some license issues, and he's running from the law, calling himself a believer, running from the law. We don't know where he's at. I get word that he's out there somewhere. We think maybe he's in California somewhere. We're praying for him, and then just several months ago, we got word he was a diabetic, didn't take his medication, and just this year, he died on the beach all by himself on Huntington Beach in the sand. I think I'm gonna see Sean in heaven because God's grace is much greater than we think. But man, did he have a, a hard life. And I, I'm just here to say, as much as I love him, it didn't have to be. It didn't have to be. It doesn't have to be for you or for me. If we'll be obedient, it takes willpower. Your will to take responsibility and say, yes, I want to follow. And when you have your will there, his power will come by the Holy Spirit to enable us to do the right thing. Blow the whistle on yourself. Make yourself accountable to someone. Tell them I'm not doing right. Meet with them weekly. Pray with them over the issues that you have. Get into the word and get better for the sake of your family and for the sake of the blessing that God wants to bring to your life. Proverbs 3.17, wisdom will make your life 
pleasant and will bring you peace. That's talking about the wisdom of God. You want to have a pleasant, peaceful life? Follow him. The enemy's a liar when he says, oh, you're not going to have any fun. I like what one man said. God didn't come to take away your fun. He came to take away your pain. That's why Jesus came. So it may sound like fun, but it, you know, it's short-term pleasure, long-term pain. If you want long-term pleasure, it's found in the wisdom and the guidance of the word. And if we follow, we have a pleasant and peaceful life. Doesn't mean everything's perfect. Just means it's a lot better than it would be. And so we follow. And let me say, um, if condemnation, if you're feeling that right now because you've messed up, listen, we've all messed up. God's not near as interested about where you've been as he is where you're going. He'll forgive you. For most of you, don't let the enemy beat you up with your past. You've been forgiven. Don't let him bring it up. He's the accuser. You're forgiven. And just think of your future and doing the right thing now, from now on. And God says, if you'll start now to do the right thing, you'll find that you, you, you have a pleasant life with this peace that his word says, and it's gonna get better and better and better as you trust in me and follow me. So there's no guilt that's offered out here today, only hope and the truth that as we follow him, things will get better. He wants to protect us. He wants to bless us. Here's a pretty good illustration from a book by Gary Oliver called Raising Kids to Love Jesus. He quotes, supposedly, from a U.S. government Peace Corps manual, and this is for people who work in the Amazon jungle, so Peace Corps manual, and among other things, part of the manual explains what to do if you're attacked by an anaconda. That's the largest snake in the world, and they live in that region in the Amazon jungle. An anaconda can grow up to 35 feet long and weigh between three and 400 pounds. What to do if you're attacked by an anaconda, and it might surprise you what they say here. Number one, they say, if you're attacked by an anaconda, do not run, the snake is faster than you. Number two, lie flat on the ground, put your arms tight against your sides, your legs tight against one another, and tuck your chin in. The snake will come and begin to nudge you and climb over your body. Number five, do not panic. Yeah, right. Number six, after the snake has examined you, it will begin to swallow you from the feet end, always the feet end first. Permit the snake to, follow, or to swallow your feet and ankles. Do not panic. Yeah, right. <laughs> the snake will now begin to suck your legs into its body. You must lie perfectly still. This will take a long time. Yeah, right. And then eight, when the snake has reached your knees slowly and with as little movement as possible, reach down, take your knife and very gently slide it into the side of the snake's mouth and rip hard upward to kill the snake. And then nine and ten, I thought they should have been one and two. Be sure you have your knife. That's number one, man. That's not number nine. And then 10, be sure it's sharp. That's one and two there. So I read this and I thought, I have a better idea. You tell me where the snakes are and I'll stay away from there. And so when we look at God's word and his commands and his law and his truth, we have to know that really what he's telling us is, hey, why don't you just stay away from there? Right? Because uh, there, there's great, great damage that can, that can happen. As a matter of fact, I, I looked this up online and I heard someone say, the truth is an anaconda is not faster than you and you can run. And that's what the Bible says, to flee the very appearance of evil. 
And so if we'll trust him that he just wants it to go well with us, he loves us, he wants to bless us and we'll stay away from those, those, those dangerous things in life that can wound and damage, we'll find blessing. Isaiah 48, 18 shows us the heart of the Lord concerning these things. God says to his people, if only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river. And see what he says to us in the New Testament is this, if you'll pay attention to my commands, your peace will be like a river. It's not too late for us, right? We're alive. We're moving. We've made our mistakes, true. But we're forgiven and his grace enables us. Titus 2, 11 and 12, the grace of God that leads to salvation will teach you to say no to all forms of ungodliness. So grace is more than just forgiving, it enables us. By his power, when we have a will to do it, he shows up and enables us to be overcomers and we find peace and our families find peace. One of, this, one of the saddest things to me about life is, to some degree, I mean, one of the hardest things for me to, 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 uh, to address as a, as a pastor is when people have been hurt by their own mom and dad with behavior, whether it's abuse, neglect, or abandonment. What's sad about it is to some degree when we have children in our homes, our actions and our behavior causes either blessing or damage to those that are under the authority of a mom or dad. There's so much at stake. So when we talk about family, we're not just talking about ourselves and our own problems. We're talking about hurts and wounds that will go deep. And so when we get this right, we start to bless generation upon generation. We start to see the good of what God has planned coming forward. And if you come from a situation that's really hard and really tough, maybe you have a lot more to overcome. Number one, God is big enough and great enough and he's already healing you and you feel that or you wouldn't be here today. You feel what he's doing in your life. Number two, I just wanna say God bless you because of your decision the next generation won't have to feel what you felt. It all changes starting now because of you and your decision to follow him and break those chains and the bondage that, that caused you heartache and pain. It's not gonna happen to your kids because of your decision. And the third thing I wanna share with you today is trusting in Jesus brings your family peace. Now this isn't the same as prayer. And trust isn't even faith. Faith would say, God, I believe you're gonna do something great for my family and I, I pray right now that you'd take care of this and that and that and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm uh, asking by faith that you would do it. Well, to, that's good to pray, to pray by faith. But trust isn't really a proclamation. It's just an attitude of the heart. It's different than faith. It's an element that's part of faith, but it's, it's uniquely different. Think of it this way. A child has a dad that they believe will rescue them in any bad situation because they know daddy loves them and they know daddy would do anything for them, right? When it's working right, this is the way it works. Dad would, would risk life and limb to protect his children. Mom too, probably, most assuredly, when it's working right. So that child isn't proclaiming in faith, my dad is gonna take care of me. They just believe that even 
when something gets hard and they don't understand it, that that dad will be there for them. That that dad will come through because of everything they've seen and everything they've known, they've known tender touch, they've known love, and they just have this deep trust that dad's gonna make it okay and help me through this. The Bible says, come before the Lord as a child. And God wants us to trust him that way. Jesus wants us to know that he is trustworthy. That we can say, even though we don't understand why these circumstances are come or the difficulty of a situation, we can know as well what trust is, is my father will protect me and take care of me even though I don't know what's going on. I'm gonna trust him because he's good and he loves me. And see, if we can stay there instead of that place where God, where are you? Uh, you don't like me and now I don't like you. I mean, that's the progression, right? We get mad at God. Trust says, no, he is good. I know he's good. And even though I don't get it, I believe he's there for me. And I know my father will come through. Romans 15, 13 is your memory verse for this week. It'll be on the screen later when we um, have a special at the end of the service. And there's a box for you to check. It's a great scripture if you wanna memorize this scripture. And we, we really believe in scripture memory and that's why we're emphasizing it. It says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. That trust in Jesus brings peace and even joy so that you may overflow with hope. Trust brings hope. Our hope is in him, not in our ability, but in his. Overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 9, 6 shows us that he's the prince of peace and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. <clears throat> and there it is. Jesus is the prince of peace. Today there are people going through trials that they don't understand and they didn't cause. There's a bunch of you sitting here today. And I just want you to know that you're doing these other things. You're walking with the Lord. You're praying but keep that trust in Jesus even though you don't get it. Just keep it. He's good. He loves you. This story comes from a book written by Ron Mel called God Works the Night Shift. <clears throat> it's a true story that goes like this. It says he was a strong man facing an enemy beyond his strength. His young wife had become gravely ill then suddenly passed away, leaving the big man alone with a wide-eyed flaxen-haired girl not quite five years old. The service in the chapel was simple and heavy with grief. After the burial at the cemetery, the man's neighbors came up to him and said, hey, why don't you bring your girl and come stay with us for a couple of days? You shouldn't go back home just yet. Broken-hearted though he was, the man answered, thank you, friends, for that kind offer, but we need to go home. My baby and I must face this. So they returned, the big man and his little girl, to what now seemed like an empty, lifeless house. The man brought his daughter's little bed into his room so that they could face that dark night together. As the minutes slipped by that night, the young girl was having a dreadful time getting to sleep, and so was her dad. What could pierce a man's heart deeper than a child sobbing for a mother would never come back. Long into the night, the little one continued to cry. The big man reached down at one point into her bed and tried to comfort her as best he could. 
After a while, the little girl managed to stop crying, but only out of sorrow for her father. And thinking his daughter was asleep, the father looked up and said brokenly, I trust you, father, but it's as dark as midnight. Hearing her dad's prayer, the little girl began to cry again. And he said, I'm sorry, honey, I thought you were asleep. She said, Papa, I did try. I was sorry for you. I did try, but I couldn't go to sleep. Papa, did you ever know it could be so dark? Why, Papa? I can't even see you, it's so dark. Then through her tears, the little girl whispered this, but you love me even if it's dark, don't you, Papa? You love me even if I don't see you, don't you, Papa? For an answer, the big man reached across with his massive hands and lifted his little girl out of her bed brought her over to his chest and held her tight until she fell asleep. When she was finally quiet, he began to pray and he took his little daughter's cry and passed it up to God. And here's what he said, Father, it's as dark as midnight. I can't see you at all, but you love me even when it's dark and I can't see you, don't you? That is trust. I don't get it. I don't understand, but I believe you love me. And you see me. The book goes on to say, from that blackest hour, the Lord touched that man with new strength and enabled him to carry on. And eventually his heart was healed. And life became good again. He knew that God went on loving him even when it was dark. And what I want you to know is God goes on loving you. Even when it's dark, even when it's hard, even when no one else will put their arms around you, your heavenly Father will always put his arms around you. Second Thessalonians 3.16, may the Lord of peace himself give you his peace no matter what happens. The Lord be with you always.